You're listening to the Our Voice podcast, and this is your host, Rena Merchant. Being your authentic self, it sometimes feels so much easier said than done. But what if it doesn't have to be that hard? Our Voice is committed to helping each and every one of us find ourselves and be ourselves. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who are inspiring me on my personal journey to authenticity, my journey within and without. And I hope that these conversations will be helpful to you too. So let's get started. Today's topic is voice. I've been fairly open about my own journey in finding my voice. This is really what the inspiration behind our voice was. Growing up, I struggled with balancing my own internal needs and desires with the expectations around me. And amidst all of that, one of the biggest challenges I faced was finding a way to rebalance myself and to find my own authentic voice. With this being the essence of our voice, it felt very fitting for the first episode of our podcast to be about voice. Our guest today is LaDonna Willems. LaDonna is an associate writing director at Dropbox, and she is a speaker and a writer. A big focus of LaDonna's work is permission to speak. Through her work as a writer and through her own personal journey, LaDonna is an expert on voice. In this episode, LaDonna and I chat about how we can strengthen our voices. We discuss what voice is and how we can break out of waiting for permission to follow our dreams. We talk about how race, gender, religion, culture, and power dynamics factor into our ability to find our voice, whether it's at work or in our personal lives. And we get deep into the core of how we can get more comfortable with knowing that our voices are enough. I hope you enjoy this conversation with LaDonna Willems. Hi, LaDonna. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm really excited to chat. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we, I mean, we met back in the fall, what it feels such a long time ago, but we met at Within, which is a women's leadership retreat. And you had shared with me a bit about your work at the time, Permission to Speak. And I immediately felt a resonance with you and what you were sharing about your work. And, you know, we were saying that sometimes you connect with someone and you immediately feel like you just want them to be in your tribe. And I've always felt that with you. And so I'm very excited to chat. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, that was a great retreat. It does feel like maybe three or four lifetimes ago already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It does. And I've been thinking since we spoke then, and I had a chance to, to read your article that you've written about permission to speak and the topic specifically of voice really intrigued me because I'm personally really interested in the connection between voice and authenticity. It's Mm -hmm. something I've been working on with myself and my own journey. So for me, authenticity has 
been so much about the connection between the inside and the outside and, you know, first recognizing and loving yourself on the inside and then determining how that manifests externally. And voice to me has felt like it's a common thread throughout all of that. I wanted to ask you, you are an expert on voice. What does voice mean? To me, voice is how we express ourselves in all different ways. So not just our actual voice or words. I think a lot of times people, when they hear voice, they think about, oh, well, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a writer. But I think voice is an expression of our character and our personality, but also our values, the things that we hold most important. And so I've, I've found that when people begin thinking about voice that way in a more holistic way about, oh, it's all the ways that I might express who I am and what I care about, then it takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you you mentioned values. I have been trying to do a lot of thinking around values because so much of it has been about, well, who am I? What are my values? And you know, I know you have to start on the inside, but how do we even begin? Where do we start with finding our voice or recognizing our values? Yeah, I think you're right in that it's so closely tied to who we are, essentially. And in writing Permission to Speak, and especially in trying to figure out how to turn what was first an article and then a talk into a workshop for people to really dig deep and find their voice. I realize that a lot of times when we think about who we are, we skip right over a lot of parts of our identity that have always been there. We like to focus on what we've made of ourselves instead of thinking all the way back to the beginning, like what family was I born into and where was I born and what color is my skin and what gender was I assigned at birth? these things about ourselves that we can't change. And sometimes we're fine with that. And sometimes we wish that we could change certain things about those aspects of our identity. But either way, I think including the unchangeable parts of who we are is really important because it does inform our experience, it informs our values, and it informs the things that we get really passionate about, the things that we that really light a fire in our bellies. So when I was creating the workshop, I, I created a self-audit where you ask yourself a whole series of questions that begin with, what are the things about myself that I can't change? And then they move into what what have I created for myself? You know, what are the choices that I have made that have made me who I am today? And then they, it goes on from there. But I've, I've had several people tell me that they were surprised when they started writing down bits about their identity that they inherited, that it really made them realize that certain things that they care about very deeply are directly tied to that part of their identity. That's really interesting. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. How much of this do you think is kind of embedded in our DNA? How much is changeable? How much can our values change? And, you know, how does our voice change as well? Yeah. 
I think our voice is very fluid. I think it changes all the time because we change all the time. And I think we should change all the time because the what I like to say is living, just the act of living, if we're doing it right, will change us. You know, you read things that change you, you meet people who change you, you love people and lose people and you hurt people and you are hurt by people and all of these things change us. And that's how we're supposed to be. You know, we're, we're ever evolving and ever learning. And so I think, although there are aspects of our identity that don't change, the things that become most important to us and the things that we really want to use our voice to express do evolve throughout the course of our life. And so I think checking in with ourselves every once in a while to say, well, who am I now? And how does who I am now inform what I want to say? Yeah. And giving ourselves permission to do that. I know sometimes I hold myself to some kind of standard where it's, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to change or I, yeah. if I change, it's bad. Or if I change, I'm not being authentic. And so that's really helpful because how do we give ourselves permission there? Yeah. I think a lot of times we tell ourselves a story about who we are that maybe we've grown out of. Maybe it used to be who we are but it's not anymore. But those stories are really comfortable a lot of times, or they're stories that someone else has told us about who we are that we've just accepted and haven't examined and kind of torn apart and put back together again. So I think the question, who am I really, or who am I now, is always a good question to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, LaDonna, if you're able to share a little bit about your story with us and what fueled your fire to pursue this specific topic in your work? What is permission to speak? And just sharing a bit more about that. Sure. So I guess I'll start at the very beginning, which is that I was born in into a family that was, still is, religious. And so Religion was a huge part of my childhood and my formative years and a huge part of my identity for many years. And part of that particular culture that I grew up in was very much about the voices of women being silenced in many ways, that it was the men were in charge and the men were the leaders, the heads of the household, the pastors in the pulpit. And I never had anyone tell me women don't matter, but I had people tell me women are supposed to submit, women are supposed to be quiet, and what it meant to be a woman was really to be in service of a man as a wife or, you know, even the acceptable careers for a woman were always like, well, you could be a teacher or you could be a pastor's wife or you could be a missionary's wife but never any anything in really positions of power. And my mother actually was is a very strong and independent woman, and she had been a nurse for many, many years. And so she did, did give me a different message that I think was really helpful in getting me to where I'm at today. And she always said, my job as your, as your mother is to raise you to be strong enough to leave on your own and to choose the life that you want. And so 
I kind of tucked that away in the back of my mind. And as I grew older, and as often happens, you know, when you go to college and you kind of leave the insular world that you grew up in, then you begin to hear other stories than the ones that you were told growing up. And I also rebelled a a bit in my choice of college because there were three or four acceptable Bible colleges for people from my church and school to go to. And I did not go to any of those (laughs) colleges. I went to a, a public university and majored in journalism. And so just because of that choice, my world opened up really fast because I met a whole bunch of diverse people from all different cities and backgrounds and cultures. And so that really began to chip away and open up some cracks in the foundation of how I had been raised and how I saw the world. So my journey out of that whole world was very gradual and took many years, but I ended up eventually in San Francisco as a liberal feminist. And I've had a really great career first as a journalist and then a copywriter and now as an editorial director. And so I was pretty shocked about a year ago when I had this epiphany based on a really difficult situation in my life at the time where I had been waiting for this job to work out so that I could move to Canada, which is a whole nother story. But several things happened and it all kind of fell apart. And during that process, I realized that I had been waiting for a man to open the door for me to pursue a dream of mine. And so it all started there. And But then it was this huge ripple effect because I was like, well, why was I waiting for him when I could have opened this door myself. And then you kind of step back and I I looked at my life and I was like, wait a second, I wait all the time for people in positions of power to give me permission to do something that I already want to do or I already know that I can do. And usually the people I'm waiting for are men because men are usually the ones in the positions of power. And so I was absolutely stunned to be, you know, a successful woman in my 40s this far removed from that very patriarchal upbringing and realize that it's still there within me. Like all those lessons of silence and submission are still inside of me. And they were coming out in really unconscious ways that I wasn't even fully aware of. But once I saw them, it was like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, you know, the curtain's been pulled back and you can't unsee it anymore. And so I thought, well, if this is true for me, then I'm sure it's true for a lot of other people because, you know, not everyone has the same upbringing that I did, but we all have been conditioned by our various cultures and societies to to wait for permission in many different ways. So that was where this all really came from. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your story so openly. And so honestly, I completely agree. I do think that every one of us goes through this. As you said, we all have different contexts and different types of conditioning, but I think we do experience this. So it's so helpful to hear your story. When I heard the word permission, it got me thinking deeply because similar to you, I had my own set of experiences, but I also have been struggling my whole life to find my voice and to find the courage to express my voice externally. And I hadn't thought of permission 
But when I heard you say it, I thought, wow, you know, that's exactly what I've been doing. And it's this aspect of seeking external validation, someone on the outside needing to tell me and indicating to me that it's okay to speak. It's okay to be you. And I realized I've been doing that my whole life. And I was just wondering, how do we begin to change that wiring? Because it feels like it's wired within me. Oh, so, so deeply. I feel like it's kind of written in the code of my DNA at this point. I think there are a few things. And the first is that it's something that I figured out by doing the writing and the research for this talk and the workshop that I created. And that was just realizing the importance of my own voice and understanding that. And it's easier, I think, for many of us to see the importance of other people's voices and other people's stories. But while I was doing this research, I came across a TED Talk by an author from Nigeria named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And she has this talk called The Danger of the Single Story. Everyone should listen to it. It's an amazing talk. But she talks about growing up in Nigeria and loving to read. But many of the stories, most of the stories that were available to her were about blonde, blue-eyed white girls eating apples in the snow. Because that, you know, all these books and stories from Western culture had filtered over to her. So she said she, from a really young age, she liked to write. And she would write stories about blonde girls with blue eyes eating apples in the snow as well. Because that's what she thought a story was supposed to be. And it wasn't until she got a little older and actually was given some books by Nigerian authors that she realized that girls like her, girls who looked like her, girls who lived in a place like her home could also write stories about themselves. And that changed everything for her. And it just made me really think about how in so many ways in our lives, we're told one story about a group of people or about we're told this story is the acceptable story. This story is the standard. And so we really internalize that and think, well, my story doesn't look like that story. Therefore, my story is not welcome. Nobody wants to hear it. I would sound stupid. I'll just keep it to myself. And untangling that, I think, is a matter of persistence. I even, I still am struggling <laughs> with it, even in spite of, of knowing all of these things. And I, after I gave this talk the very first time, it was at a conference in Tel Aviv. And it was the audience was pretty large and it went over really well and I was feeling really good about it. But several people had come up to me after and said, you should write a book about this. And of course, I, I'm a writer and I've always wanted to write a book, but I've always talked myself out of it. And so I was sitting with a friend later that day and I said, you know, all these people keep telling me I should, I should write a book. And she said, yeah, you should. I was like, yeah. I should. And then for the next 15 minutes, I told her all the reasons why I, I couldn't, though. I, and they were all reasons like, well, I'm just a white girl from Illinois, and I don't have any really dramatic story. Like, I'm not like Tara Westover, who wrote Educated, or I'm not like Deborah Feldman, who wrote Unorthodox. I don't have a really super dramatic story. So why would anyone want to read it? 
and just went on and on and on about all these reasons why my story didn't matter. And she just really calmly and sweetly listened to me. And then it, when I wore myself out, she said, you know, you just were up on a stage telling 500 people why their voices matter and why they shouldn't silence themselves, but listen to yourself. And I was like, oh my God, okay, I guess I have to go write a book. Yeah, no, you know, it just blows me away how this feeling of being confident about what we want to say, a feeling, for example, for me, am I enough? Am I qualified? Years can go by and you you do all this work and it still comes up again and again. And so thank you for, again, sharing so transparently, because I think that the more that we are open about these things and we discuss them, I think sometimes there's this feeling that I'm exposing my weakness by exposing the fact that I struggle with am I enough? But I think in sharing this vulnerably with each other, I think it gives others courage. I hope it does. I'm curious if you've heard, you must have heard stories through your work about others and, and how they're growing and developing. Yeah. I think that something that I've, I've known for a long time, but I've really come to see the truth of again, through this work is that the way we connect with each other as humans is through our stories and often through stories of being vulnerable or being imperfect or struggling or not getting something right, failing miserably, because we all can relate to that. And so I think that when we hear other people's stories of struggle, then it gives us, as you said, it gives us courage to be like, oh, I thought that person had it all together and they don't. So then maybe I'm not so crazy and I could do this thing. And then when we tell our own stories and we're able to be vulnerable, we give other people the courage to do the same thing. It becomes this chain reaction. And I really, I've added to my portfolio and to my professional bio, this, this whole idea of that. I've really come to believe that the thing that changes the world is stories it's not arguments, it's not facts, it's not logic, it's one human telling other humans, here is my story, here is how I have struggled, or here is how I see the world. And in doing so, you expose someone else to something that maybe they've never heard before, or you make them just uncomfortable enough that they start questioning their own prejudices on things, or you give them inspiration, you know, but it's that that's how we, I think we have always as a species related to each other as just telling stories. And I think that's still probably the most valuable currency that we have. So when those stories are honest and when those stories are vulnerable, they become so incredibly powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. And it it feels that in that honesty and in sharing our own stories, it's almost like we're creating the space then for others to share their stories. And it feels like we're able to honor the voices of others by doing that. And it, it feels really supportive. And so it's really beautiful to hear you frame that as stories, basically. It's storytelling. It's storytelling. I think one of the one of the really unexpected things or realizations that has come out of this for me is that 
part of giving yourself permission to speak and giving yourself permission to use your voice and share your story, it really comes hand in hand with listening to the stories of others. In order to write this talk and the book that I'm working on now and the workshop, I did a lot of reading and listening to other people's stories. And the more I do that, the more I open myself up to hear more voices and especially to seek out voices that are not like my own so that I can learn from them and see the world differently and see through their eyes. And so it's interesting in this whole kind of mission of telling other people, give yourself permission to speak, use your voice. I'm also telling them and then shut up and listen to other people too. But they really go, they go together. You can't do one without the other. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. And just chatting a little bit more about this external aspect and this connection with others, I wanted to ask you a little bit more on the topic of external validation. One thing that I always say to myself, you know, external validation shouldn't matter. That shouldn't be what drives me. It should be more about what's within, not without. But you know, it's really hard to be completely immune and independent of rejection and the fear of rejection and shame that comes with that. And I was wondering how you have navigated that. Yeah. The very first time I gave this talk in that auditorium with 500 people in Tel Aviv, it was the longest version of the talk. I I haven't done one that long since then. It was 45 minutes. And so as a part of that particular talk, I haven't done it again, but I read a poem that I wrote and I had this complete out of body experience while doing it of like, what am I doing up here? Like, what am I doing standing on a stage in Israel in front of a bunch of really talented designers from all over Europe? And I'm reading them a stupid poem that I wrote. Like, I have no business doing this. They all probably think it's dumb. And then I I just, you know, I'm in the moment on the stage and I just had to shut it down and soldier on. But it was probably 10 minutes later in the talk, I'd reached the section where I'm just pounding a bunch of feminist themes home really hard because it's important to me to show people this is women are the only ones who feel silenced and are marginalized by any means. But that's where I started when I'm trying to make the case to people about voices being silenced. I start with women because we're half of the world's population and I'm a woman. So I start there and then go further. But as I was really hitting my feminist stride, several men throughout the audience, probably five or six, got up and left. And I had the out-of-body experience again of like, oh my God, they hate me. They're angry. This is not what they came to hear. And then I just told myself, that's fine. I'm not here for them. If they need to leave, and maybe they needed to leave because they had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. (laughs) But I I took it as a personal rejection. And for some of them, it probably was. But I just felt so sure about my larger message. I felt so sure that I was there to tell someone who needed to hear it, that he or she had permission to speak, that they could give themselves that permission and they could go out and share their story, that my conviction of that and my passion for that overrode that 
fear that I had in that moment of, oh my God, people are leaving. They're actually leaving because they hate this. And really it wasn't that many people, but I have never forgotten that moment. And so in other times when I've had that thought again of what am I doing? Why am I putting myself out here like this? Nobody, I think it it hits me at least once. I've probably given the talk, I don't know, a dozen or more times now. And at least once every single time, the little voice in the back of my head is like, people think this is stupid. They're wondering what the heck you're doing, giving this talk. And then I just shut it down and say, there is someone here who needs to hear what I have to say. And every time it's been true, there always is someone who lets me know that that was exactly what they needed to hear that day. And so that gives me the confidence and the the encouragement to keep going. Yeah, that is such a great insight. Thank you. And, you know, I was thinking it takes a lot of courage, right? It's so for you to get up there and to share your story so completely and wholly, and then to stay standing up there in spite of what you were perceiving as rejection, that takes courage. And I wonder a lot of times, like, is courage all about sharing everything about ourselves? Is that what authenticity is? Or is it okay to keep some things to ourselves? Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely not about ripping your heart out and holding it up for everyone to see. I think for one thing, that's exhausting. And for another thing, for some people that can be too dangerous and have really serious consequences. So I think it's a matter of who is the audience that you want to speak to. And you look at that audience and you look at what particular thing you feel strongly needs to be said in in that room. And then you stick with that. So for me, it all, it goes back to those values and that identity, you know, there are, we're all so complex and we're made up of so many things, but we don't share all of those things with all of our audiences. So I think it's different for every person to look at, this is a part of myself that I'm only going to share with one or two people. This is a part of myself that I am going to share at work. This is a part of myself that I can get up on a conference stage and let everyone see. But we all have to answer those questions for ourselves. And I think that the bravery and the speaking up, even when you're afraid, comes in when you are sure that this is a thing that needs to be said to this room right now. And that helps you, that helps you know what to hold back and what to give away. Yeah. Thank you. That makes so much sense. You mentioned the different contexts and you mentioned work, for example. I've been thinking a lot about work. So I know both of us, we both work in tech and I sometimes think about the dynamics at work and you know the power structures and how to navigate all of that and what the expectations are of me at work. I'm wondering what advice you might have for people who struggle with this specifically in a work context? Because it's it's tricky to navigate all that. It is really tricky to navigate all of that. In work settings, I think I had someone ask me one time, um, what do you do when the person who's silencing you at work is another woman? Right? So there's that kind of situation. And then there's the being the only 
woman or a person of color or immigrant or fill in the blank in the room and feeling very clearly that your voice is being overlooked or you're being interrupted or you're not being looked to at all for an opinion. I think that for me, a lot of it has been not just how I speak up at work, but how I show up at work. And by that, I go back to the definition of voice as your character and your personality and the expression of who you are. And when I came into tech in particular, I was really nervous because I was coming in as someone with no tech background, a woman in her 40s, a mom. I fit in really well on creative teams and other environments because I have a lot of tattoos and I wear big clumpy boots all the time. And I didn't see anyone else like that in tech initially. And so I was having huge imposter syndrome of what the heck am I doing here? Why did they even hire me? I don't fit in here. I don't know how to navigate this world. But the advantage of being 40 in that situation was I wasn't going to become a chameleon and try to bend myself into a new shape to fit what was around me. So I just kept coming to work as myself and and lived through the uncomfortableness sometimes of feeling like a complete freak and weirdo. And what happened was that over time, as I got to know my teammates better, and as I was involved in more projects cross-functionally and met other people, then I began to realize that me showing up as me was really valuable to other people, that they appreciated it, and that they, in their own way, whether they looked like it or not, they also felt like a weirdo. And they also dealt with imposter syndrome in one way or another. And so it evolved into me speaking up more in meetings and giving this talk and everything. But it didn't start out there. It started out with just saying, I'm, I'm still going to wear the clothes that I love to wear and the boots that I love to wear. And I'm still going to talk about the things that I like to talk about, even though it feels strange in this environment. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point and such a meaningful story. You know, I, I think a lot about for those of us in leadership roles, you know, it's so important to us to always want to create the right culture, to create a culture where others can feel comfortable being themselves, expressing their voices, creating a safe, supportive space. And what you just shared makes me feel that by doing that, by by being ourselves, by showing up as ourselves, that in itself is going such a long way to creating a culture and environment where others can feel safe to do so too. Right. I think there's something about people showing up as their true self as they are that day, which sometimes means that you let people know, like, I'm having a really rough day today. It gives people, again, it gives other people the permission to be like, oh, I'm having a terrible day today too. And suddenly you have a connection with someone where one did not exist before. And I feel in so many ways that that has been been proven true for me over the past couple of years, especially just 
kind of taking that leap of faith of, I know who I am and I know what I care about. And so I'm going to go out into the world that way. And when you do the world, not all of the world, but the part of the world that was meant to meet with you, they give it right back to you, you know, and they say, I, I see what you've got and let me show you what I've got. And it's pretty amazing, actually. It really is. And it's, it's so true. It's in those moments of giving and receiving. It's like this magical connection happens. And I find I just need one of those to happen a day. And on a good day, I'll have many such moments, but even just one connection like that with someone's a a real authentic connection. And my whole day is just brilliant after that. It just lights you up when you have that connection with someone. It really, really does. I wanted to read you something that I pulled up really quickly, if you don't mind. So when I give this talk, I've started acknowledging to the room that for a lot of people, finding your voice and looking into your identity and then showing up in the world as your true self can actually be, it can incur actual emotional and physical danger for some people, right? And so I I always want to acknowledge that, especially as a white woman in the world to acknowledge my own privilege that it isn't necessarily dangerous for me to do what I'm doing, but for others in the room, it might be. And so in the face of that, is it worth it, I guess? And what do you do? And how do you overcome that ver- those very valid fears? So I always use one of my favorite people and favorite writers of late um, as an example, and that's Chanel Miller. And I don't know if you read the memoir that she published last year, but I highly recommend it. It's called Know My Name. And Chanel became infamous as Emily Doe, the woman who was raped by Brock Turner at Stanford University a few years ago. She came out of anonymity and the safety of anonymity, really, and published this memoir. And I really love what she said about telling her story. So I want to read you this quote from her, if you don't mind. Thank you. Mm -hmm. She says, you will find society asking you for the happy ending, saying, come back when you're better, when what you say can make us feel good, when you have something more uplifting, affirming. This ugliness was something I never asked for. It was dropped on me. And for a long time, I worried that it made me into a sad, unwelcome story that nobody wanted to hear. But when I wrote the ugly and painful parts into a statement, an incredible thing happened. The world did not plug up its ears. It opened itself to me. I love that. I think about that all the time. That that is what happens so many times when we are brave enough to share our ugliness or our misery or our mistakes or our fears or our insecurities, parts of the world open themselves up to us. Other people open themselves up to us. And that is what really makes all of this worthwhile and makes even the the naysayers and the tone police out there and the gaslighters out there, it makes any negative response worth it because you know there was someone else out there who is going to hear you and open up themselves to you. Yeah, no, that is incredibly 
powerful and beautiful. And thank you for sharing, you know, the word ugly, like just that word really evoked that feeling of, you know, we talked about shame earlier, that connection to, oh, this is an ugly part of me. This is something that I am ashamed of. I can't show anyone. But as you said, if we can, granted, there is sometimes danger and and we need to be aware of that. But if it's safe and if we can find the courage to let that out, to bring it to the light, then as you said, even if it can help one person, yeah, that we've done something wonderful for the collective. And there is something about that act of sharing your shame or the ugly bits of you that bring you out of the darkness and into some light as well. It somehow alchemizes your own pain or your own sadness or shame and turns it into something different. And that that's just something that's so profound and really really important to me about this whole this whole topic. Yes, absolutely agree. I was wondering, Ladon, I wanted to ask you, you know, I've thought a lot about when am I going to get there? When is the journey over? You know, it's this <laughs> constant evolution. And there was a point in my life when I did think, I really did think there was going to be an end point and I, I would set targets and goals. And I've, re- I've realized it seems like the journey is going to continue forever. But I wanted to get your perspective. In your eyes, what is the destination? Where is there? Yeah. Wow. That is a really lovely question. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who comes from a really religious background where the answers were always there, they were in the Bible, they were in, you know, it was always black and white. And I very clearly remember, especially in my early teen years, the comfort and security of knowing for sure whatever it was. Coming from that, I now live my life in full comfort and joy in the mystery of life and in discovery and in asking questions and asking questions that lead to more questions that lead to more questions that lead to even more questions. So to me, I feel that the journey of learning about others, about ourselves is the whole point. If we're always learning and asking more questions and being curious and always finding, discovering new things about ourselves, discovering that we can change even when we're 85 years old, you know, that is, that is what makes life worth living, you know? So it, I mean, I guess it's that, that, old cliche about it's not the destination it's the journey but I mean things become cliches because there is an element of truth in them many times and so for me I think it I kind of hope never to arrive because if I if I do then I will have become stagnant and stale and I don't know I don't want to be that person I always want to be open and learning and being willing to admit that I was wrong and being willing to learn something from someone new. That is part of the the really great thing about being a mom. My daughter is nine years old. And so learning from your own child is an amazing experience. And 
one that I didn't ever really consider when I decided to have her. And so that's part of it too. Like we're, we're never too old to learn something new. We're never done. Yes, I completely agree. And on the topic of the journey of LaDonna's life, what is next for you? You're doing so many amazing things. I know, you know, there's the article, you've been doing workshops on permission to speak, you're writing a book. What is next if people want to stay connected with you and your message and your work? What is the best way to do that? Yeah. So I am not on Twitter. That's a, a whole nother podcast, but I am on Instagram at words by LaDonna. So they can find me there. And the most immediate next thing is really, I'm really, really excited about it. I've been working with some friends at Dropbox on a personal voice workbook that essentially takes all the elements of the workshop that I do that is typically about a two and a half hour to three hour workshop. And it turns it into a workbook that you will be able to download for free from dropbox.design. And you also will be able to order a really, really gorgeous physical workbook if you like. And it will take you through a lot of the stuff we've talked about today and a lot of exercises designed to help you figure out pieces of your identity and your values and then translate that into, so what does my voice look like and how can I use it? The workbook will be out May 11 and people will be able to download it from dropbox.design and I will also post about it on Words by LaDonna. So that's the next big exciting thing. Now is the best time, right? We're all just stuck in our homes, staring at ourselves in the mirror. So I'm really excited to be able to give this workbook to people at this particular time in the world. Yeah, it sounds like such an absolute gift. I can't wait. I will definitely be getting my hands on one of those workbooks. And I also wanted to thank you. You shared a wonderful list of things to read as suggested reading for those of us who also want to go deeper into the subject. So I'll be sure to share that as well with others. And I just wanted to thank you again, LaDonna. I could I could chat with you truly forever. I am so <laughs> thankful to you for making the time and just the time you've taken in sharing your message and your story. It's helped me and it will definitely be magical for others. Thank you. Thank you for, for doing this with me as um, I could talk about it forever and ever too. So, <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation with LaDonna. Being able to speak with someone who has such deep empathy, courage, strength, and grace, it's just phenomenal. And I learned so much in hearing her share her stories about her own journey. I hope you found it helpful too. If you're interested in staying connected and learning about new episodes that we post, please subscribe to the podcast and please give us a rating if you enjoyed this because it really helps us in being able to get more meaningful and hopefully helpful material out to all of you. Keep finding yourself, keep being yourself, and I am sending you so much love. Talk to you soon.